Hello, and welcome to this mini-series of podcasts for all staff working in health and care across Greater Manchester. This series builds on the podcasts launched in November, which, as part of a national initiative, have been specifically targeted at staff working in primary care. It aims to widen the accessibility of all our GM health and wellbeing support to everyone in the Greater Manchester area. I'm Lynn Marsland, and I'm delighted to welcome back Shenny Ravji-Smith, who will host these episodes, created in response to the things that you have told us are important to you. They are part of the GM Wellbeing Toolkit, which is available for you to access to support your wellbeing and the wellbeing of those around you. It's been an extraordinarily difficult time for many of us over the last two years and the pandemic has highlighted the need to pay attention to our mental well-being in a very different way. Whether people have been furloughed at home or working to respond to the critical challenges the pandemic has created, we have all had to negotiate the impact on ourselves and on those around us. To discuss this, my guest today is Adele Owen, lead for the Suicide Prevention Programme. Following on from a 21-year career in policing and a focus on mental health crisis, Adele has launched the Shining a Light on Suicide campaign and has more recently overseen the development of the Greater Manchester Bereavement Service. Welcome, Adele. Thank you. So, Adele, how do you think the pandemic has impacted on the way that we grieve? I think we've just seen an unprecedented level of bereavement that has touched almost everybody around the country. We know that media coverage has been constant on this issue, but in professional and our personal lives, I think barely anyone must have escaped, you know, the impact of bereavement. I think the issues we've faced over the last two years with restrictions and the impact on our daily lives the usual rituals that we follow after a bereavement, we've not been able to follow. You know, things that help us as the grievers to adjust to a life without our loved one. So we've had to try and adapt and we've not necessarily been through this before to know how to adapt. So we've all been taking it almost day by day which is really difficult for those when they have just experienced a loss um, to have to manage those changing expectations and the challenges. It's concerning because we know that, you know, the rituals we usually have around a death actually does help us in how we adjust to that loss. So there are concerns really about the long-term impact for many who've not been able to grieve in the way they would have done. We know that restrictions have also stopped people having visitors and, you know, travelling to be together. So we've been quite isolated in our grief, not had the family and friends around possibly as we would have done in the past, you know, just for extra comfort. We've, We've been more isolated in our grief. So, yeah, concerns about the long term impact of that. And of course, you describe the impact this has had on people from a personal level. 
But as healthcare workers, we've also had to deal with grief and bereavement from a professional perspective. Mm. How is that different? So again, I think for professionals, they've had to support so many more people, um, witnessed many more deaths. And for some people who've been moved into roles more frontline to help with the pandemic, this was possibly something they'd never expected to have to do in their careers. I know from my previous career that having to respond to grieving families can be quite heartbreaking. You feel quite helpless um, not being able to do as much as you would want to. I know that our healthcare workers have done amazing things in trying to connect families who are losing a loved one, despite them in a way being disconnected, you know, not being able to be there physically with them. It does have an impact and we know that um, many healthcare workers are struggling, have been struggling with having to keep that up day in, day out, while obviously worried about their own family. It does take a toll. And the Greater Manchester Resilience Hub are offering support to health and social care workers who feel they do need support. So I definitely encourage people to reach out to the Resilience Hub, see what they offer. Sometimes it is great to be able to talk to somebody that maybe isn't in your direct circle. You don't want to put more pressure on family members and and colleagues when you think they're already dealing with enough. So it's helpful, actually, to talk to somebody who's a bit outside of that and just have that opportunity to, to speak and to get it off your chest, in a sense. So it sounds like it's really important to decompress, decompress Mm. the impacts of what's happening at work, the way that we may be supporting family friends at home as well. Um, And you mentioned healthcare workers trying to connect loved ones Mm -hmm. with somebody who might be at that end of life point using digital devices. I I think it's been so nice to, you know, it just shows the compassion that these healthcare workers have. You know, they've been put in a a position that they never thought they'd probably have to go through. No one knew when it was going to come to an end, whether it was going to get any worse. But they've done what they could with what they had available. But for those that are involved, I think having to deal with that level of of grief and and especially because so many that we've lost over the last two years, it was quite sudden and it was quite traumatic. As you know, people of all ages have been affected, and that can often be harder, can't it, when you think someone has died well before their time, and and just the worries, I suppose, personally about the you know your own family members, but also seeing colleagues because we have lost healthcare colleagues as well, who were frontline. So, yeah, it's going to take a lot of adjustment. It's just, I suppose my message would be that you're not on your own. You know, there'll be many people feeling that way. Um, So you do need to give yourself that opportunity to talk to others and just take your time, one day at a time, to process all that. So with all this in mind... What support is in place and what can people access to help them? 
I now oversee the Greater Manchester Bereavement Service. So, yes, I'm a suicide prevention programme manager. But part of that role when I started um, about three years ago now was to set up a suicide bereavement support service. But when the pandemic kind of hit us and we realised the scale of bereavement we were dealing with across the city, we realised we needed to expand that level of support to people that were bereaved by any means. So we eventually merged two services together into the Greater Manchester Bereavement Service, which is still there to support those that have lost loved ones to suicide, but also to other causes of death. So the Greater Manchester Bereavement Service is there for anybody working or living in Greater Manchester. And as professionals, you can ring it too. You can encourage your those that you support to ring it. You can ring for just advice if you wanted some advice on how to support others or for personal reasons. And the kind of bereavement support practitioners will, you know, they're a a listening ear. They're all trained counsellors, but they're not going to offer you or provide you with counselling. They're there to listen and talk through your immediate concerns. For many people that are ringing, you know, they might be struggling with uh, financial issues. I know we we talk about secondary losses, that after a bereavement, those secondary losses where you are struggling financially or there's a housing situation or, you know, you're suddenly the only parent and you've got childcare issues that you're not able to juggle. So they can talk through all that. So if you wanted a phone call from them each week just to check in they will do that and for those who do want to have counselling usually um, counselling services ask you to wait about six months after you've lost somebody but if you want counselling they can make you aware of services in your locality and if you are on a waiting list waiting for that counselling they can again keep checking in on you The feedback's been really good from people who've really appreciated having that, you know, somebody they can speak to a bit like, like I said earlier on, somebody that's a bit independent from the whole, you know, family grieving situation. So that service is there. On the website, you can click on your locality and see what other bereavement support exists in your community itself. And we are doing our best to try and list all the different community resources. So, you know, we have a really diverse communities in Greater Manchester. We know that people will have different grieving rituals depending on their culture and, you know, other um, factors. So we are trying to link people into the services that best fits their needs that you know appeals to them there are also peer support groups set up around greater manchester so i know of some walk and talk peer support groups so which is a great idea to get people out walking and talking you know getting and getting out of the house is a great step if you you know if you felt isolated and you're grieving So it's great to hear that there's a variety of support out there for different people and what they need, because we all grieve in a very different way. So grieving is intensely personal, affected by factors, cultural, 
religious factors, the rituals that we're used to carrying out when we lose a loved one. You know, we can really be impacted by the age of the person um, that has died, you know, our relationship with them, the cause of their death, whether the death was sudden or expected, and whether we perceive that the death was preventable. All these things can impact on how we feel when we're grieving and, and I suppose how long it might negatively affect us as well. So Adele, one aspect of bereavement that we've talked about previously is suicide bereavement. And you've described this as multifaceted and grief with volume turned up. Can you, can you explain what you mean by this? So I can't take credit for that quote, but it is one that I'm quite familiar with now, working within suicide bereavement. And from what I'm told by those that are suicide bereaved, it's very relevant to them that they they will say that it's far harder than any bereavement that they've experienced before, mainly because the question they most want answered is why, why their loved one took their life. And for many, they don't actually get the answer, but they struggle with that for a long time, um, maybe forever. But Many people that have been bereaved by suicide will talk of the stigma. You know, we we don't generally talk about suicide. It's one of those um, taboo subjects which our Shining a Light on Suicide um, campaign is trying to um, reduce the stigma around it so that people who are struggling with suicidal thoughts can actually speak up and get support but also for those that are affected by suicide that they can seek support too. You often hear people who have lost a loved one to suicide talk about the isolation. I've heard many people say that they've seen friends and neighbours literally cross over the road to avoid speaking to them and they understand that for many it's because they're just uncomfortable by it, they don't know what to say, they don't want to upset people. For others it may be that, you know, they just have certain set views about suicide. And unfortunately, it's the brief families that then have to face that stigma. So for those that lose a loved one to suicide, they will often say that life has changed completely. It'll never be the same again. But for many, they find a renewed purpose where they want to make a difference. They want to help prevent suicide and other families going through what they've gone through. There's some amazing work that's undertaken by people bereaved by suicide across Greater Manchester and beyond, uh, which is really having a positive impact on all of our work to prevent suicide and support those that are bereaved. I think I just wanted to mention as well the impact on professionals when they have somebody maybe in their care that takes their life. People may not always think of those, but they can be affected as well. You know, we talk about people being bereaved. You can be affected by suicide and you can be exposed to suicide. And I think it can have a negative impact on everybody, but there is support available to talk that through. But for professionals who've lost a loved one, they need to be able to receive formal and informal support after the loss and really remember their own self-care. 
I know there's a term called disenfranchised grief and that's often when the loss is not acknowledged and I think that can be relevant to professionals who did have a relationship. We know that, you know, for people that have experienced a traumatic incident, they can go on to develop post-traumatic stress disorder. I prefer to say post-traumatic stress injury because it doesn't have to be permanent. But there is help out there. So please don't kind of shy away from getting help. Please seek help. So we've talked about isolation, increased stress, not feeling like you have anywhere to go and talk or to decompress. What advice would you give to anyone to become more suicide aware? And how can that help colleagues, loved ones, or even individuals themselves? I would definitely say to do some training, suicide awareness training. Suicide can affect anybody. You often hear people that were bereaved by suicide who just said, you know, they never saw this coming. It can affect anybody. And so I think we all need to play a role in helping to prevent suicide. In our strategy for Greater Manchester, we say it's everybody's business. And when I say training, I know many people say, oh, I haven't got time for that. But on our Shining a Light on Suicide website, you can access the Zero Suicide Alliance training. It takes just 20 minutes. It's online. It's free. And we've had over 28,000 people now in the last few years complete that training in Greater Manchester. And the feedback's been great. I think it gives you the confidence to be able to ask somebody if they're feeling suicidal or that, you know, life is too much for them. And I know many people without the training will avoid asking it because they don't know how to ask. They feel a bit embarrassed asking it. What if the person says, yes, I am. It's kind of panic. What do I do now? Or or maybe worse is they say, no, I'm not, you know, and you've got that awkward silence. Um, The training will help you spot the signs, know how to broach the subject. And then if the person does say, yes, I have been thinking of it, what to do then? We, We actually know that by asking somebody if they're thinking of suicide or ending their life, it does not put the idea into their head. That is a myth. If they're thinking about it, they're already thinking. You're not putting it into their head. What we know is that it... It's believed to actually reduce the chance of suicide because you're showing that person that you're not shying away from talking about what is can be a difficult subject, that you're kind of opening that door to say, look, you can talk to me and I'm not judging, I'm here to listen. And for many, they say it was kind of a weight off their shoulder that somebody had actually broached it and they were able to just talk And often it's that talking that releases some of that pressure. We're not there. We don't have the answers. And again, our our Shining a Light on Suicide campaign emphasises that you don't have to be a health professional to make a difference. The actual listening to somebody and 
that can have a huge impact. And then, of course, you will want to suggest to them that, you know, they speak to their GP or loved ones and family members so that they can get the right support. If it's more urgent than that, then they might want to go to A&E and speak to a mental health professional. So being trained to be suicide aware it's something that would benefit everybody in their professional lives and their personal lives. In regard to bereavement, you know, there are many websites now, Cruise, Winston's Wish, Child Bereavement UK, we've got Support After Suicide. There are many websites you can go to and they all have advice on how to support friends and family. You can learn from just reading some of that material. There's usually, you know, questions you might have, you'll find answers on there. I think in supporting our friends and colleagues, just being there is really helpful. Often you don't need to say anything. The person going through that bereavement just knows that you're there, checking in on them. Something I know working with those that are suicide bereaved in Greater Manchester is just acknowledging the person they've lost. So, for example, we ran that project, the Speak Their Name quilt project, and those that had lost a loved one to suicide have made their own quilt square in memory. And again, you can see details on our website. But the importance of people still using their loved one's name, that they're not forgotten. You know, they did exist and... You know, there are happy memories as well as, you know, obviously those sad ones. But just naming the person they've lost is often really appreciated. Significant dates. So when somebody's lost somebody and you've got Christmas coming up or anniversaries coming up, they're really difficult times. So kind of just letting that friend or colleague know that you're thinking about them is really valuable. I think in the early days... We often say to people who've lost someone, do let me know if you need anything, which is too much to put. It's too much of a burden, really, to put on that person that is grieving. They may not know what they need. I know you often see it in movies where suddenly somebody opens their front door and they've got about a dozen lasagnas that people have cooked them to pop in the freezer. But yeah, make them a meal. It might be if there are if they have young children offering to take them out for an afternoon and actually rather than wait for the bereaved person to tell them to tell you what they need, kind of propose something or would you like me to go and do the shopping? So it's kind of a yes or no. It just takes some of the pressure off. I think we need to be comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations. We aren't experts, but I think the fact that we are trying will really come across. And if we say something that maybe, you know, inappropriate or we've used the wrong terminology, just kind of acknowledge that because we're all learning. And I think the last thing I'd really say is look after yourself too. We might, especially with friends and family, where we want to make them feel better. And it kind of puts a pressure sometimes on us too. And so we need to look after ourselves if we are to support others. And there was a quote that I read recently which really touched me. And I'll just read it now. Um, It's by a gentleman called Earl Grolman. Grief is not a disorder, 
a disease or sign of weakness. It is an emotional, physical and spiritual necessity, the price you pay for love. The only cure for grief is to grieve. I think we need to acknowledge that there isn't a set timeline for grief. I think for many people, they will grieve for many years or for the rest of their life. But with the right support in place, they will learn to live again as well. You know, it might be a different life to what they'd planned or what they were living, but good things can still come. But don't try to deal with this in isolation. Try and reach out. And for those that haven't been affected by bereavement, reach in and offer support and show compassion. And Adele, one of the things that we talk about fairly often is about not being afraid to say the wrong thing or be hung up about saying the right thing. Terminology is a big thing when we talk about death. What would you suggest is the best terminology to use, the best language to use, when talking particularly around suicide uh, and death by suicide? We're learning all the time and we use certain terminology and then maybe a few years down the line, people start questioning that and we have to rethink it. I think the key one as an example is the terminology of committed suicide. I've managed to train my brain now and to to use the phrase instead of die by suicide. And as a former police officer where committed was a regular part of my language, it took a lot of time to stop myself using that phrase committed suicide and it was actually at a conference where um, a suicide bereaved mother stood up and said how upsetting it was for her to hear that terminology that really made me rethink so I didn't know that it wasn't the right thing to say but once I did I, I did my best to try and change it and it becomes so embedded and it slips out so I think you just accept that and maybe say you know that isn't the right thing to say and maybe apologise. So I think that's the big one to try and avoid using that terminology. And if you can retrain yourself to instead maybe say, you know, they died by suicide or took their own life, I think that will help avoid upsetting many people. The other terminology I would discourage using is successful suicide attempt. It suggests that people who, you know, have tried to take their life and have survived have failed at something and it really isn't helpful, helpful conversation. We need to avoid the whole successful. Um, It's not a test, sadly. Even completed suicide, which I hear a lot, suggests that they've successfully completed a project. I think it's best to like I said, refer to, you know, somebody having taken their life or died by suicide, that someone's bereaved by suicide. But all I'd say is don't avoid having a conversation because you're worried about using the wrong words. Just please have that conversation. It could save a life. And if you feel that you've said something that maybe isn't right, just acknowledge that, apologise for it. You may not have caused offence, but it just shows that you're taking this seriously and trying to do your best. Thank you, Adele, for a very thought-provoking conversation. 
To wrap up, we would encourage everyone to complete the Shining a Light on Suicide training, to have a look at the Greater Manchester Bereavement Service support that's out there. You can either Google it or have a look at the Greater Manchester Wellbeing Toolkit where all the links are already gathered together. For more information about the Greater Manchester Wellbeing Programme, look for the link on the main series page. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover, there's an email address on this episode page too. We would love to hear from you. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to this series through your favourite podcast provider so you don't miss an episode. And remember to tell your colleagues too so they don't miss it either. We look forward to speaking with you soon.